0: Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, 3 years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Love Letters and Mixtapes. This week, I spoke with a friend and a practitioner for a beautiful conversation about everything from boundaries to self-awareness to shame, and we even touched on those moments when we think we have moved beyond something, whether it is a lesson or a trauma or a relationship or just a really uncomfortable feeling and it shows up again in our lives at the most inconvenient time. And what do we do with it? Our conversation also touched on stepping back from the word should, what we think our lives should look like, what something should feel like, or how we should be. I am so happy to introduce all of you to my friend, Sabrina. You can find her on social media and on her website at vigorandsage. And as we always do with guests on this podcast, we wrapped up our conversation with a love letter that Sabrina wrote to her younger self. And honestly, it was exactly what I needed to hear. So I'm pretty certain that so many of you will resonate with her message as well. Welcome to the Love Letters and Mixtapes podcast, Sabrina. Thanks for having me. I am so glad you're here. I would love if you could just share a little bit about yourself who you
1: are, and the work that you do. I describe myself as a grateful mother of two. They're getting older now, but it's really shaped who I've become. So it's definitely a part of myself. And as far as my work goes, I consider myself a holistic healing practitioner. I specialize in, because I know that's a huge umbrella of information. So I specialize in therapeutic yoga, Reiki, breath work, sound healing, hypnotherapy, including past life regression. But yeah, I'm just a human who experienced things that I found really, really helpful and was like, I need to get this out in the world. So my background is actually in dance. I have a degree in dance science. I would also describe myself as ever If If anyone is into astrology, I'm a Gemini. For human design, I'm a manifesting generator. And I find that those things are very descriptive of my personality. And I think it helps to understand me and help me understand myself. So yeah, multifaceted, multi-curious.
0: I love that description. And it's very funny because I was thinking about what initially drew me to you on social media, which is how I first began to get to know you. And what I was seeing is you always intentionally creating pauses on your platform and encouraging everyone to check in with themselves, to take a moment to regulate and see what they're thinking and feeling in the moment. And you were doing that through many meditations or sharing clips of sound healing. And I have no doubt that this is a very small snippet of what you do in your actual life, given what you just shared, but let's just check in. What is that like for you as a practitioner to show up in this role And how do you check in and prepare yourself before you sort of open it up to community, whether it's in person
1: or online? I would say there's kind of, well, there's many parts to me in my work, but I feel like I do show up differently online than I do in person. I'm much more comfortable in person. I'm much more comfortable And not even in person, but, you know, virtually looking at someone having that experience. Social media is really challenging for me. It's definitely an area that I am working through my own kind of wounds or, you know, insecurities in that way and kind of using it as I almost kind of think of it like school where like you kind of have to get through these projects to see how far you've come. I, I use social media like that. So I kind of prepare differently because I feel differently about them. Going into a session with a client, I mean, it's been over a decade now. I'm so fortunate to have been doing this work and I've learned a lot of things. I didn't always have these things in place and it definitely affected me, but I'm an incredibly empathic person. And so that can be very challenging when you're talking or working with someone who is struggling, who's going through trauma, especially things that I can relate to that I have personally experienced. In the beginning, it would physically very much affect me. Like I can think of one Reiki session where I just was like, I have to leave this session. I'm like sweating, I'm nauseous, I'm dizzy. And, you know, I pulled myself out of it. And by the end of the session, the woman was explaining what I was going through. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's why. I could physically feel like the elements that she was going through in her, her description of that. So since that moment, I realized like I really need to kind of come in with what I consider like a shield or like a protection, not because I'm afraid, but because it's not mine and I don't need to absorb it. And the best thing I can do as a practitioner is reflect with the knowledge and experience I have. So the way I've learned to prepare now, I love music. I put on something very gentle and very soothing. Sometimes it's sound healing. Sometimes it's a nostalgic song, but generally nothing that has a lot of emotion to it. I already start to like ground that. No matter what I'm doing, I tried to get outside for at least five minutes before my session. I realized that being outside is a huge support for me to ground my energy. And that's kind of it. I just try to allow myself to close the doors, to bring my awareness and my general energy in. Because like I said, I can be quite multifaceted. And so I'm like, no, this is where we are now. But it's really simple. I generally just put on like a good song. I step outside I make sure I have some water. Um, As far as being on social media, that feels different. I feel like it's a different experience for me. And it feels like, honestly, it feels like walking into a new high school. You're like, oh my gosh, I don't even know who's here. I have no idea. And I feel like a lot of those feelings come back up for me too. So I think part of that is me not feeling grounded. I generally don't feel grounded, especially when I show up for live meditations and things like that. So yeah, I kind of have just come to that conclusion that when I show up, this this is who I am. And when I'm showing up with a client, I try, obviously, to show up as my most supportive and most safe and most grounded energy that I can.
0: What I loved about what you just said is how it applies to everyone, even that beginning part where it's about preparing for what doesn't belong to you and being aware of when those things come up and creating some sort of a shield, protection, whatever word someone wants to use again, not really out of fear, but just out of awareness, out of presence and saying that belongs to you and that's okay. And I can witness it, but I actually don't have to pick it up. So I think that that's a really helpful takeaway, whether someone's a practitioner or whether they're not, whether they're just going into work or into their family or relationship, it's really helpful.
1: Definitely. I feel that as a a mother, probably too, I think it's probably my most, gosh, reflective energy where you're really seeing how you're showing up. And I feel, and I you know, had this experience now where if I take it on, there's just two of us or three of us or four. It's like that I just is creating more of that energy. But if I can be strong enough to observe it and witness it and hold space for it, but allow it to transmute how that person needs to transmute that energy, then more change and more healing or whatever words that you want to use for that, that can happen. But I found that when I took it on, it was just, it's like creating that bubble and now it gets bigger. It's like that kind of nightmare monster that when you don't finally let it change so I think in the beginning I thought I was doing I don't even know if I was conscious about it but you know you're like oh I'm I'm with you I'm here with you I'm in the trenches with you and then you realize like well how can I pull someone out if I'm in there with you I need to be on the outside with my arm extended you know and I can't do that if I'm wallowing in my own fears and worries and experiences so it took some time and I think conscious and subconscious awareness but realizing like the best way to be a friend, a partner, a mother, a person, a colleague, whoever it is you're interacting with is to stand in your own ground and and be warm about it, you know? Absolutely. And it's
0: interesting because so often we receive confusing messages around it, as in you are not doing enough or you don't care enough. And I actually think I have a pretty different view on it where I think, no, I'm respecting that other person. I believe that they have it within them to get to a certain point, And I honor their journey. And I don't want to take that away from them. And that can be misconstrued, but it also feels like it's coming from a place of deep respect and boundaries. So I love that we kind of opened up with that topic. I think that you mentioned you've been doing this for over 10 years. And I'm always interested in what sets people on a certain path. And I would love if you shared what inspired you to learn about these practices and eventually become a practitioner yourself. Were you always drawn to these holistic modalities or was there some kind of transformative experience in your own life that
1: inspired you or sort of redirected your path? A little bit of both, to be honest. I definitely was always curious about healing. I mean, I have memories, I'm sure my sister will laugh, of like, let me give you a massage. And like, I've also always, always, always been curious about human behavior and why people do the things they do and how we get into different situations. It's like a lifelong journey in that way. So I've I've always had that interest. And then I would say that there was a tumultuous time in my life that really propelled me into the work I do. I guess basically the short story of that is around the time I was pregnant with my second child, which If anybody has ever been pregnant, it's a very tumultuous time anyways. There's a lot of change. There's a lot of things happening within yourself, but also everywhere around you. So there's really no, at least in my experience, there wasn't a lot of kind of calm. I mean, it wasn't calm. It wasn't chaotic, but just a lot of change. And at that time, I'd had just this experience with someone in my community that became like a huge falling out. And the thing that happened through that was... I recognized this really deep held wound. and I kept kind of moving, reacting like I was 12. It was like this subconscious pattern that kind of kept coming up, this cycle that kept coming up. And it was really, really affecting me. And being pregnant, I was very, very conscious and mindful of like, I understand how much my body is a home energetically and physically to this child. And it is in my best and their best interest to really work through these things. So I took it upon myself to start seeking as much help as I could get. I was already familiar with traditional talk therapy, which can be very, very helpful, but I needed to go deeper. I could tell that there was something deeper. So that really sparked me to kind of like most things in life, things are connected. And There's like a snowball effect. I had been introduced to Reiki kind of as an exchange through the work I do and I'd already been certified in therapeutic yoga, like yoga and then therapeutic yoga. I was really definitely moving into like that mindful movement as a dancer background. But once I experienced Reiki and I realized that this person could could pick up on a lot of this energy without me having to say it, I realized that there was so much in there and I needed to be a part of that. So that was my first kind of alternative wellness practice if you will that I I went on to study and then the same thing happened with breathwork. I mean I went to my first breathwork circle kind of not really knowing what I was doing, very not not selfishly, but very self-centered going to work on myself and it exploded and I loved every moment of it. So every single thing that I've gone on to study and become certified in, I went to seek help and to seek tools and to seek a practice that I could use and then walked away like everyone needs to know this how do I get this to the masses so I guess a little bit of both I've always been open-minded and interested but I'm also I do consider myself a skeptical believer like I I believe and I'm open-minded but I I need to see it I need to know I need to see it needs to work for me and I need to see the work happening to really believe so That's how I find my way. we'll see. I'm sure there's more down the line coming.
0: Well, that first Reiki session must have been mind-blowing because when you describe Reiki to people and when they actually experience it, it is so different. I have a friend who would never in a thousand years try anything in this realm. And she was going through a really hard time. And I booked her a session on me, my treat, so she wouldn't feel like, I don't know, pressured for an outcome with my teacher. And she had that session and it just blew her mind and her soul and her spirit. And it was a remote session, which is even more mind-blowing for people sometimes. And she has said from that point until now, I I don't know what was in that. I don't know what you did, but it changed something in me. And I think that's so beautiful. So I want to check in with you about that aspect of it of being present for these subtle, but sometimes really big transformations that other people go through. So what has that been like as a practitioner in all of these different modalities to have those, you know, those moments of clarity, which can be very confronting, by the way, too. So they're not all sunshine and rainbows.
1: But what has that been like for you to witness that? Wow, it's actually the most fulfilling. I mean, truly, it is like I said, I mean, I just, I know my experiences and how, how clear they were for me and the understanding that comes with that. And it's just like a beautiful thing. I know this is going to sound silly, but it brings me to tears. Like every single session, I have to remind myself that like I'm here to hold the space and, and it is a beautiful human experience to witness someone move through something that has been weighing on them and holding them down and affecting the way they show up in the world. I mean, I get chills because I think we can all relate to that. It's that feeling of relief, you know, of like, oh my gosh, an accomplishment and the ability to look back and see how those little moments of change have really shifted. And for me, the excitement that comes with that is the hope, the hope that there can be change in the future. You know, it's, It's a really beautiful thing. And you're right. It doesn't come, you know, as sunshine and rainbows. And it doesn't always come as one big aha moment. And sometimes the aha moment can be very sad and very, you know, a lot of grief can come with, you know, feeling like, oh, it took me so long to get to this. Or I wish I'd, you know, known this sooner. And so there's a lot that comes with that. And I think in that way, it's very unique for people. But for me, it is very fulfilling as a practitioner to see people reach that point in their life.
0: You know, it's interesting. Someone I used to work with, Ed, that's his name, actually. Um, Ed told me one time that when love walks in the room, it shines a light on everything that love is not. And he said that I should always keep that in mind when I'm doing sessions, whether I was doing energy work or whether I was doing the group therapy sessions, whatever I was doing. And he said those moments, we can almost trick ourselves or we think, oh, that's this great thing you feel good you have this and there's that experience of grief with it because you realize how long you went without it and that can happen in relationships too you can get into a great relationship and you can feel that little feeling that nagging feeling of grief of why did I go so long without this all the time what would life have been if I'd had this so I love that you do mention grief because I think we have a very different version of grief in this world, that it has to be this one thing. It follows this one path. And I'm like, no, I remember the first time I had a Reiki session and I felt some grief because I realized how often, I love how I said how often, how rarely I let myself feel good. And I remember I felt amazing and it brought tears to my eyes because I realized, oh, I never go here. This isn't a space I
1: enter into a lot. So I love that you shared that and brought that up. In my first experience with Reiki, it was mind blowing. I mean, obviously I went on to do that, but I think what my takeaway from that was how vulnerable I felt. I felt so vulnerable. I felt like this person could see into my soul and I actually felt so much shame that I couldn't hide it from them. And I thought, oh my God, like, I have to befriend this person now because if they know all this about me, I they could use it against me. You know, that's that shame that comes up. Like everyone's gonna know this, and I think that was really truly what that session held for me. The healing was, so what, so what? You've been exposed. Now what? You know, it it wasn't necessarily this like energetic, you know, cleansing or whatever that some people feel. For me, it was really this exposure. And the reality afterwards that I was okay. I was more than okay. I was free. Now, like there was this sense of like freedom that could come with like, okay. Like they're still here. They didn't run screaming. And I do remember, I think I said something to the the Reiki master along the lines of like, um, I feel really naked. I feel like I just got completely naked in front of you and you held my hand through all that. And I want to be that to someone else. I think that's the way I would like to show up as a practitioner is it's okay to completely... You know, unlayer yourself. You're in a safe place, and because we brought up grief, I do think grief and shame and all of these kind of, I guess we can say, "quote unquote" low vibrational energies are what is in there, and we're so afraid to expose that, and we feel so, yeah, I guess like afraid is the right word. You know, I this isn't necessarily what you ask, but I feel like the work I do, right, is it's pretty much. We've spent our whole lives shoving that down, avoiding it, running from it, coping with it, whatever it is that you've done. And the work that I do is uncovering it. It's exposing it. It's saying like, it's here. You've been carrying it. It's nothing new. You're not making this up. You've been living with this. How can we leave this here and move forward with the lessons and the hope and the the process of it? You know, we don't need to always, there's a lot about being human, that you, you can't just let go. I know we use that words, and I use those words, but there are things we can process. There are things we can transmute. There are things we can learn from and move forward. But I think forever, we're always going to be unlayering ourselves, you know, and uncovering. I really think that is what you know, quote unquote, healing really is, and that's why there's no end or outcome or, you know, final goal to it.
0: Well, I love that you mentioned shame because. I sometimes think shame is the doorway you have to walk through to get to something that feeds you more, but you do pass through it. And I think a phrase I use on this podcast a lot is a position of neutrality. So not pathologizing it, not like I love how you said in air quotes, the low vibrational, it's like they just are what they are. And I don't have to assign those qualities to them. And maybe they're going to show me something that I've been turning away from and maybe It's discomfort, not pain, and it's not going to kill me. So I think that that's really helpful sometimes. I have been in the role of a practitioner, whether it was in like a mental health role, but also in energy work. And when you're in that role, you're experiencing real life emotions in real time for real people who have gone through real things, real trauma, real love, real joy, real sadness. And from the practitioner's perspective, what is something that you have learned about trauma and
1: healing? Can you share anything about that? Yes, I'd love to. So to your question, what have I learned from being in this role? I mean, so much. I mean, I can't, I feel like, I feel like there's, like different parts of my life. And I'd say like before doing this work was a part of my life and then after doing this work. So I, you know, I think what I've learned most about healing and being with real people and real trauma is about myself and a reflection of myself and the way that I show up. But I would say like really what I've learned is that healing comes in waves and you might feel like you've healed something. You might feel like I've worked on this for years and, you know, there's a lot that you might feel like, oh, I'm, you know, fix this relationship and I fix this part of myself and I'm over it. And then you get triggered and then you get, that's where the shame comes in. It's like, I thought I was over this. this and Oh my gosh. And I'll never get through this. And that's the wave. That's when you're really able to look and say, okay, what's still there, you know? And also I feel like, I mean, I, not that you ask for advice, but I'd say like with what I've learned, my biggest piece of advice is compassion, right? is Is in those waves of healing is to stay compassionate. And I think, you know, trauma is relative. There are obviously bigger experiences that are very traumatizing that not everyone has gone through that are very unique or rare to people, but it's all relative. So whatever trauma you've experienced, whatever challenges you've experienced in your life that have affected how you show up, they're going to keep coming back. They're going to keep showing up in many different ways in your life because you've acted based on those traumas and your behavior and your is in there. And so I think it comes in waves and to be compassionate when the waves are really getting big and you question how much work you've done and you question how far you've come. And the other thing I think is to, and I know this is hard for a lot of people, but is to find support is to find people that you can talk to and something I've really, really learned is no matter how much you love someone and what your relationship is, I don't care if it's your mom, your sister, your best friend, your partner, they can't always be there for you. They cannot always hold all of your needs. And to kind of spread that out a little bit. Maybe you have a friend that you can talk to a lot about, you know, your physical health and your worries and things like that. But maybe your partner's are not the right person because they're going to worry with you and things like that. So I feel like it's helpful to have, if you can, you know, this community that can hold these different parts of you when you're working through the wave, to keep that sense of compassion and support and to, I guess, reduce, if you will, that feeling of loneliness. Because when you go to one person, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going through this hole. And they can't hold all that space for you. You reiterate, I'm alone. No one's going to understand me. I don't have anybody. So I've learned if you can kind of And I'm not saying dump all your stuff at everybody, but you know, find the people that can hold different spaces for the different parts of you that need different help.
0: That is such good advice. And I love that you talked about it because, again, I think it's a little contrary to some of the messaging that we get. And it's almost as if everyone is supposed to be everything all the time versus maybe community, maybe having people who, have a zone of genius in one thing and can really shine in one area and we don't have to discard them they can't show up perfectly for us in our
1: imperfection so i love that you mentioned that yeah the more that people care about you the harder it is for them to hold that space for you because they're in it like it's they're in the trenches so i've learned that's what i've learned is it's not that they don't want to be there for you or, or like, you know, they can't be a good friend because they can't, it's because they're such a good friend sometimes or they're so loving, you know, it's so hard for them to maybe hold that pain with you. um, that it's maybe better to give it to a friend who isn't as involved, who doesn't relate in that way or, you know, share it. And then they have a different perspective and maybe a different tool and maybe a different way to help you move through it, you know? Exactly. I think one
0: of the other things that you lightly touched on that I want to expand on is that it's not a one-time thing. It's not a one-hit wonder. It's not always the aha moment. And that if we're lucky throughout our lives, we are going to have opportunities again and again and again to revisit things and process them and utilize the tools that we've gathered along the way. One thing that I always try to talk about on this podcast is not waiting until the critical crisis moment to then decide to experiment with a new tool or a new modality. And I think that sometimes we can look at these things as almost dessert versus nourishment. So it's this extra thing versus how do I incorporate this into my life? How do I develop a practice? How do I continue to engage in self-awareness, accountability, processing, showing up for myself, showing up for others? trying to contribute versus criticize. How do I do this work on a regular basis? I would love to hear from you if you have any thoughts about how we can create a sustainable way of life where we are engaged in the process, we're trying new things, we find modalities that work for us, and we're giving ourselves the opportunity to utilize them on a regular basis versus the crisis moment.
1: Yes. Oh, my gosh. I love the way that you word things because it very much brings a sense of understanding, you know, dessert versus nourishment. I think we can all understand that. And to be honest, I would never consider this work dessert. It is not the cherry on top. It is not whipped cream. It's not sweet. And I don't say that to intimidate or scare anybody. You know, we talked about that. But to be totally transparent, it's, man, it's the like grinding of the cocoa beans before you get to the chocolate. It is the hard work. And you're right, not to wait until the critical moment, because we become desperate, we become desperate for to get out of the pain, not to even work through the problem, or to come up with the healthiest solution, we just want out of it, you know, Um, and we can go, you know, way deep into that with addiction, all these things. But I think truthfully, what we can do to be sustainable and to nourish ourselves is to develop a practice that feels attainable to us. You know, with social media and things like that, I think, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe I don't know, maybe 2018, 2017, something, I feel like it kind of came into my realm of like morning routines. And all of a sudden I felt like I was supposed to have this like morning routine. And if I wasn't waking up and meditating in my, you know, really cute underwear and drinking my whatever mushroom, something, I don't know, then I wasn't going to like have a good day. And I really put this pressure on myself to develop this like morning routine. But meanwhile, I've got two kids. My partner travels all the time. You know, I'm like, this is ridiculous. And I've realized as time goes on that my morning routine is really me waking up and doing the things I can do every day to prepare myself. So for me, I drink a cup of coffee. I didn't feel bad about that, you know. Um, I do the Wordle. This is like a new thing. I do with the Wordle with my mom and then I share it, you know, but it's like, I put on good music. Those to me might not be these quote unquote, you know, healthy morning routines, um, but they're healthy to me because when I have that, I feel like I can go on with the rest of my day. So I feel like the best thing you can do is to find what is sustainable for you. And it does take time to experiment with it. And I think it's also really important to know that what worked for you for even years is not always going to work for you. You know, it's not always going to work. I can get up earlier than my family now, and I love the early mornings. I love it. But when my child was not sleeping through the night and was up all the time, I could not wake up. I could not get up earlier. I could not stay up later. I could not find the time to exercise. I just couldn't do the things I thought I was supposed to do. And rather than making me feel better, it made me feel worse. It made me feel like, oh, I'm not even getting to these things and I should be getting to these things. And if I was doing it, I'd feel better. So, you know, yes, I want to preach about the benefits of breathwork and meditation and drinking a billion gallons of water, but I'm just a real person. And I just think the more you can do to create your healthy habits, not anyone else's, because we're just living in that place of I should, and it's not, it's what can I do? I believe that we all have moments in our day where we're doing these practices subconsciously or maybe you're not doing them and you could be doing them. For instance, breathwork. It's a huge umbrella of techniques. It's, you know, cultures old, generations old, tradition it's its everything. But I think, you know, even for myself as a breathwork practitioner, I'm not dropping into this like activated breathwork technique every day. It's when I'm really frustrated and I'm like, I'm going to breathe. And then I'm like, wow, I just heard myself say I'm going to breathe rather than like, I want to punch someone. Like it's those little tiny moments of shifting are your practice. For me, it's not necessarily getting into the class every day or, you know, the same time every it's, that's not it for me. And it's a commitment. A practice is a commitment and you need to commit to yourself of what is attainable for you. But you also need to be flexible with yourself and create practices that are sustainable for you. That's, that's my spiel.
0: <laughs> I heard so much compassion in that conversation about commitment. And I feel like that's usually what's missing in the conversation. So I'm so glad you mentioned that. You know, We can use anything as another way to punish ourselves, to beat ourselves up. And it can look really good. It can come in a great package. And we can still weaponize that against ourselves. So I'm really appreciative that you touched on that because I think we all need to hear it. Maybe I needed to hear it today <laughs> when I'm talking to you. And I, I love that we touched on that. Well, the name of this podcast is Love Letters and Mixtapes. And we are so often exploring what we would say to our younger selves. So given all that you now know and all the experiences you've had, can you share a love letter to your younger self? What did she need to hear?
1: Wow. Yeah. I feel like what comes to mind initially without overthinking it or really going deep in is that she needed to hear that no one has it figured out. Everyone's winging it. You're not on the sidelines somewhere missing the information and that life is a big experiment. You're not meant to be perfect. You're not meant to know everything. You're not meant to show up having it all together. There's no way for you to be the best version of yourself without experimenting and failing and making mistakes and learning first. There's just no way. And so she needed to know that it's okay to make mistakes in front of people and to show up as your authentic self and, and to keep going and to make life a big experiment.
0: I think so many people needed to hear that too. So thank you, Sabrina. Well, where can people find out more about you and
1: learn about your work? Uh, am on social media my handle is vigor and sage i also have a website under the same name and i'd like to be more committed to it so we're working on it this year but i do have an email that goes out about all the work um that i do i'm very very fortunate it's a pleasure of mine. I collaborate very often with other practitioners. So, right now, I have a few things coming up in person here in Southern California with an astrologer and a collaborator. We work on a group called Nourish where we incorporate really mindful movement. She's a Pilates master, um, and I do the more energetic side of that. That's a really beautiful thing that we do. And then I, I offer virtual sessions to try to get out to, to all my clients. So, I try to really give that information through the email first and then. Hopefully it makes it out to social media. It doesn't always make it there. But yeah, that's where I'm showing up these days. Thank you
0: so much for joining us. I really hope you come back because I have about 400 questions about past life regression. So you will have to come back again sometime soon. Thanks, Sabrina. Thank you so much. Until next time, please make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Maybe take a moment to like, rate, or review this podcast. And thank you again for listening to Love Letters and Mixtapes.